Hey, what's going on, everybody? And welcome back to the College Info Geek Podcast, the show where uh, two guys pretend they know what they're talking about. Yeah. Though, isn't that all podcasts? Uh, yeah, I think it, I like to think it's humanity. Yes, it we'd is like humanity. to just pretend we know what we're doing, but really, no one knows what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of just stumbling my way through this life, but I do? try to do it with a little bit of style. Yeah, you do it with style. A little bit of panache on that stumbling. Falling with style. What is that? There's something. Um, Isn't that from Toy Story? Yeah, I think it's from Toy Story. You're oh, not flying. That, or that falling took, with style. That took me back. Man. Okay, anyway. Toy Story is like <laughs> the most nostalgic. Seriously. Yeah. I Actually, okay, it's, it's, well, it's nostalgic for that time in my life, but we went to a restaurant the other night and I got it in my head that I wanted to play... Um, well, okay, I, I should give the context here. We went to a restaurant and they were having this night where you could dial into a phone number and request music videos to be played on the big screen. And everyone was playing Two Chains and. Was it good? Oh, Which Two Chains? What are we talking It was Man, a Two Chains song. You should have with, given me the number and then I would have just given them some good stuff. Maybe you would have liked it. It was a Two Chains song with Kanye in it. Ooh. So, I don't know. I don't listen to Two Chains. Very possibly. Um,. Though the way the music video was shot, I could tell that they were not taking themselves seriously at all. And I kind of have more respect for 2 Chains now because oh. I thought it was pretty funny. But everyone was requesting new music and stuff like that. And for whatever reason, I just I really needed to request I Miss You by Blink-182 and some old AFI and just a bunch of old emo pop punk rock from the early 2000s. It really brought me back, man. Brought me back to playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. <sighs> so good. Yeah. But now we're stumbling into our, uh, I don't want to say late 20s, but late 20s. Well, I'm definitely not in my mid-20s. And I still play Tony Hawk and skateboard, so I think we're doing just fine. Uh, so I do have to break the news. On this particular episode, we don't have tea. I'm so oh, yeah. sorry. We should, we should just open this now so that we don't interrupt more important words. You don't want to have the that sound important like interrupting yeah, all the insightful yeah, yeah, i figure we're insights. probably not saying anything important yet yeah i found this at whole foods today and it is not one of those zero everything but apparently the only sugar in it is just like actual grapefruit juice oh that's so, cool i don't know i can't help myself but uh from trying just random new drinks at whole foods drinks are like my favorite novelty thing to get like i hmm. i, I want to get different drinks all the time that definitely is more flavorful than like any of the zero e sparkling waters. But yeah, you can tell there's like not extra sugar in there. It doesn't taste like one of those San Pellegrino soda things. Yeah. It's not bad. Uh, yeah. And I, I guess I'll say the brand because someone's going to ask. It's like Spin Spindrift, not sponsoring this episode. Yeah. Um, but they are sponsoring <clears throat> my Whole Foods addiction, I guess. Fair. <laughs> Somebody's got to. Somebody has to. All right. So. I don't know if the timing of this episode is going to be helpful or not. I, I think it's going to be good for people running up to finals. Yeah. Um, and I think they should have a fair bit of time once this episode goes live. But a while back when I read the book A Mind for Numbers by uh, Dr. Barbara Oakley, and I've referenced this book a million times in my videos, um, I came across this exam preparation checklist near the back of the book. And this was a, it was a memo that was given to students by a guy named uh, Richard Felder. And I think he's a professor of chemical engineering at North Carolina State University. Cool. And he gave this checklist uh, out to his students as a way for them to figure out why they got disappointing grades <clears throat> in their exams. So I thought we would go through this and kind of give our thoughts on each of the things in the checklist today. Okay. Uh, and the cool thing that you discovered apparently is that 
this checklist can be found on Google Books for free. Yeah. Because apparently yeah, that one like, page of the I book just like went was scanned. To the thing and then... So I will, I will put this out there. I highly recommend reading A Mind for Numbers. I think it is one of the absolute best learning-focused books that I've ever read. And for people out there who want to learn more effectively, it's an amazing book. Yeah. Um, and there's also a course called Learning How to Learn on, not Udemy, oh, Coursera. That's what it is. It is, I believe, the most well-known and famous course on Coursera. And many, oh. many students have taken it. So I took it once. It's a pretty good course. Did you and learn how to learn? I learned about some cool things. Okay. I learned about this whole concept of Einstellung, they call it, which is okay. a German word. Oh, and I can already see it in my mind. You you can see how it's spelled? Yeah. Oh, I can because I've seen it, but I don't have I don't have all that German background. I'm, I'm a fan of letters and sounds. <laughs> I'm a fan of letters. You know, my favorite things in the world are like numbers and uh, talking, you know, a fan of that. Uh, so apparently Einstellung is... The, the word for when you get stuck on a concept because you have all this prior knowledge that is preventing you from accepting new ideas or um, innovating in your head. So like somebody who, say like a career programmer who was programmed in Fortran for like 30 years trying to learn a new way of programming, all of their built-up knowledge has kind of created this rigid structure in their heads that doesn't allow them to easily accept a new concept. Yeah. So that's Einstellung. And then... One of my favorite concepts from this book is the idea of interleaving your studies. So this means practicing one thing for a little bit and then moving on to a different concept for a while and then coming back. Because Within the same topic or like so I think I think the book talks about uh, it in the, the context of the same topic. Um, I think it can work in different topics, but you have to really balance this with the whole concept of essentialism. You know, obviously you can't say, I'm going to interleave by practicing guitar and playing basketball and trying to learn how to cook and writing a novel at the same time. Yeah, you, like, you, you never wouldn't. get deep enough into it. Fair. But I think, so like maybe take guitar, for example. A good example of interleaving would be doing a good like half an hour of practice on scales and then moving to chords and practicing that for a while. And then when you come back to scales the next day, you sort of take an advantage of that spacing effect to yeah. let your brain sort of, um, you know, build architecture around that practice you did yeah. and, and you know, you weren't wasting time. As opposed to just saying, like, I'm going to keep doing this one part until I've mastered it, which yeah, exactly. is going to take you a lot more time than it should probably. And the cool thing about interleaving is what you figure out is, uh, you know, your practice and what you learn in one area often contributes something to the next area. So in terms of chords, I found that and this is kind of an advanced thing, but I found that learning chords actually makes you better at scales because it starts to build this concrete understanding of the entire fretboard in your head that scales alone, I think, could do, but it would, it would take you longer to do. Hmm. Like, I think there's a big difference between having a concrete understanding of what the major scale looks like and how to move across it on a scale and understanding the shapes of chords when your hand is making them and then making the connection of, oh, this chord is basically, you can transpose this chord onto a specific area of the major scale and, it's, and it matches up. And that's like, it just unlocks different ways of playing in your head. Hmm. So, and I think that is something that's applicable, applicable, I can't say words, to basically any discipline. But anyway, I wanted to go through this checklist here. Um, 
And I don't think that you need to go through every single item on this checklist for every single test that you do. That just yeah, seems well, a little ridiculous. Well, I think the teacher's being, like, thorough because yeah. they don't know which thing any particular student needs or didn't mm-hmm. do. Exactly. There's going to be classes. They seem like fairly reasonable ideas, though. Yeah, I think everything on this list is reasonable. Um, but I think to go, if, if you were to try to put this checklist into action for every single test that you do ever, you would probably be overwhelmed. There's a lot to it. Yeah. And I, I don't know about you. Well, actually, I do know about you. Uh, but for me, there were classes in college where I didn't have to do nearly any of these things. And I was still able to get an A. And there were other classes where I had realized this is not worth my time to try to get perfect grades on. So I'm not going to prioritize it. There are other things that would be a better use of my time. But uh, I think the main point of this, and he kind of stated it in the book, if you get a grade on a test that you are not happy with, this is a checklist to go through uh, and to see like what it is it that caused you to get that bad grade. Because the whole thing about fixing your mistakes is that you need to analyze them to figure out what the root cause was and then you need to come up with a strategy that does something different. And in many cases, if you didn't get a good grade on a test, it either means you didn't put in the time or you didn't use efficient study techniques with the time that you did put in. So and did you actually write yours down? Uh, I've got all the steps, yeah. Cool. Uh, why don't we just alternate through them then? We'll just go through. I think there are 12. Three are homework okay. related and three yeah, are got them. Got them all typed out. lead up to test related, I think. Um and then, yeah, we'll just alternate on them, and then we'll just uh, riff on some some of our own thoughts. Cool. And go through it, and I'll let you start. All right, so uh, number one here is, uh, did you make a serious effort to understand the text? Now, I assume serious is the key word here. Yeah. And <laughs> um, that if you're assigned reading or you're, you're doing a chapter or something, the implied assignment is not actually reading the chapter. Like... No one cares if you read from word one to word 200 of that chapter. No one cares at all. There's no story. There's no anything. Yep. If you didn't get the concepts, you wasted your time. So if you read through all 200 pages and you're like, I'm a little confused about part three, but oh, I did the assignment anyway. I, I want to go play video games. Then you didn't really do the assignment. Yeah. Because that's not the point. You just skimmed it. So you, I'd say that... Uh, Reading critically is really the key that this is trying to talk about. Okay. So in your words, what would reading critically mean? So I would say that it is reading for understanding. You don't necessarily move in a straight line mm-hmm. because of this. So I, actually, my example is from fiction. You know, I haven't been okay. in school in a little bit, but I was just reading David Mitchell's Ghost Written, as I said in some other episode. And it's got all this confusing we change settings and characters and all sorts of stuff just like cloud atlas between sections and yet it's all somehow pieced together really cleverly and i kind of want to reread it with a bulletin board and red strings and like theories <laughs> on what connects to what i want you to do that just so i can come in your apartment and see you like, like a crazy it's, person it's really intense <laughs> what is the book about anyway i've never even heard of it it is that is a very hard thing to say <laughs> That's true. I, I think if, you explained. If I give you the more. overarching theme, it's probably spoilers. But okay. the book itself is a collection of like I think eight or nine different chapters, all of which are center on different people, and somehow their stories all seem to connect in different ways. Okay. So it's uh it's pretty cool, but it's very confusing. So because I needed to read this book critically, 
one, I read really slowly. I can't read fast mm. for something like this. So if you're just trying to if you're trying to speed read, you know, all the people that are like, I'm gonna read five billion words per minute, that's a pointless skill here. Yeah. That does nothing for you. Speed reading the chapter is a waste of your time unless you understood it all in the first go. And a side note on that, um, we have a series of three videos, one of which debunks speed reading, and I guess two of them do. And Shots then one, fired. One shows you how you can actually read faster and defines what faster is. And then we also have an interview with one of the foremost researchers in eye tracking and speed reading on oh, cool. the show. I think that is episode 92. I could be wrong. Phase we'll have eight. it in the show notes. But um, you make a good point there that if you're reading a really complex book like Ghostwritten, in my case, the immediate book that comes to mind is the Cryptonomicon by Neil Stevenson. Yeah. You can't read as fast as you can if you're reading like a Harry Potter book or something. So don't feel discouraged that you're making slow progress through a book because the denser the reading and the more uh, foreign it is to you, obviously you can't go faster. Yeah, and and you can't when I say uh, when I said earlier you don't necessarily move in a straight line. Like mm-hmm. when I was reading Ghostwritten, I would read I would read whole pages and then I'd be like, oh wait wait wait. Was that in the past? Hold on. And I'd have to flip back several pages, re-skim over it, and be like, yeah. now I get it. Now I get it. I had to read that section again with this information that I finally just pieced together. Mm-hmm. And that easily makes sense in yep. like a learning context. If you're like, this mathematical concept didn't make sense to me until over here, and now what they were saying here makes sense. Okay, yeah. So you're having to go back and like reconnect things yeah. you've read previously using the new information yeah, and actually, <clears throat> side note, this also helps with foreign language because if you, like, read the first page or something and and then you get all the meanings afterward you, and then you read it again, the second time it's a lot easier to get a story Yeah, because you've familiarized yourself with the hard parts. But basically, yeah. y- you can't just read in a straight line and be done. Okay. That's not how, not how this works. Yeah, so right now I'm reading Jordan Peterson's book, uh, 12 Rules for Living, and... One thing I'm noticing while I'm reading this, which is something that I notice when I'm reading other complicated books, is I'll be reading, I'll be understanding everything, and then there will come a paragraph where my eyes will go over it, I know that I've read it, but I don't actually comprehend what I just read. And I think you have to work to notice when that happens and then force yourself to reread it. Because I think yeah. there's there's this little part, at least that's in my brain, that says, Keep going. Keep making progress down the page. You are reading the book to completion. Going back would be a waste of time. But, of course, if I don't understand what I just read, then I've already wasted my time. Yeah. It's like the flat tire thing. If I just, like, go pump 15 tires up to half pressure, (laughs) then none of those bikes are going anywhere. So I need to make sure that I actually pump the tires up to where they're supposed to be, and I need to make sure that I'm reading for actual comprehension. Yeah. So that's a good little mental you know, just a flag or marker to keep in mind. If you go through a paragraph and there's a little thing in the back of your head that says, you don't actually know what that meant, go back and read it again. Yeah, it's not like a Goodreads challenge. It's not about, I did it, we're done now. That Mm -hmm. doesn't mean anything. You got to take lessons from it. Yeah, I haven't even read most of these books. So not even this one? Actually, wait. Well, I've read this one. You read this, this Thomas Frank guy? I've read this one by Thomas Frank. I haven't finished... Meditations. I haven't finished Debt. I haven't read Soonish yet. I'm sorry. I know you got me that for Christmas. No, that's cool. And then See, these I are all fairly dense books, though. You would yeah. definitely read all of these books critically. I know. So I mean, you know, we put we so put it these takes in the, a while. We put these in the set design, and I think everyone loves the idea of having this well-stocked bookshelf. But uh, if you have ran your eyes over the text and not understood a word of it, then 
You know, you this haven't is why really. It takes so long to read fiction because I pick yeah. nothing but really complicated fiction, and exactly. then I'm like, oh, I read so slowly. <laughs> it's because if I don't understand it, it doesn't yeah. matter. But you enjoy it, right? Yeah. You know, and and the the process of piecing together something incredibly complex is really satisfying. So often those really complex books are more fun to read than something that's just a breeze and like you know like a summer popcorn flick kind of book. Yeah. So and I know someday I will read Cryptonomicon and I will love it. I just need to get the time for it. <laughs> it, it took me like 15, 16 hours to read Ghost Trin. Oh, man, that's going to take me longer. It was just like... I think it would take me longer to read, like, read Ghost Looking Trin. at the little Kindle uh, predicted speed, I was like, oh, this is going to take forever. <laughs> I, I'm, I know I'm a fast reader. Stop it. Darn you, Jeff Bezos. You're making me feel bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so one thing I want to leave off on with this checklist item is... One way that you, it, this isn't perfect, but one way that you can ensure that you do understand the text is to go to the back. Many textbooks have a oh, chapter yeah. review. And if you, you know, look through the questions, just kind of scan them and you realize, hey, I don't understand what that means. Then you don't understand the text. Yeah, you might so have missed a go figure important it out. part. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's move on to checklist item number two. Did you work with classmates on homework problems or at least check your solutions with others? So... This one's pretty simple. Um, find a study buddy. A lot of times you're going to skip over things yourself and uh, somebody else is yeah. going to be able to catch things or look at it from a different perspective. So I find it useful to uh, work with a study buddy. Though I think that number three is intricately linked to number two. Yeah. So I'm actually just going to say this one because I, I think they go together. Number three is, did you attempt to outline every homework problem solution before working with classmates? So this is a pitfall that I definitely fell into during college and during high school at certain times, and that I see a lot of students falling into, where they will decide at the beginning of the semester that they're going to work in a group, but then the way they set the group up is that they meet and they do the homework together. And the problem with that is if somebody is a little faster than you on the uptake, they're going to get the answer, you're going to see it, and then you're going to think, oh, I get it. Oh, it's and all going to make sense on. as long as they're right there next to you doing exactly. the same thing. It's it's the exact same thing as when you're sitting in class and your teacher was working a math problem example on the board and you're following along, seeing what they're doing and thinking to yourself, yeah, I understand that. I follow. But then you go home and you do the same math assignment. It's not the exact same problem, but it's a very similar problem using the same concept and you can't do it. Yeah. Because, again, there's a huge difference between your ability to execute and your ability to watch somebody somebody do something. You know, I can watch Bob Ross videos all day and I can understand, okay, he's dabbing the paintbrush into the taupe now and now he's little brush strokes and he's actually narrating it. I get that, but I can't paint like Bob Ross, you know, and I can analyze a kickflip all day long. I know exactly what movements <clears throat> you're supposed to do to land a kickflip, but I can't do it. Yeah, yeah, everything's easier said than done and whatnot. Yep, never, con never confuse comprehension with your ability to actually execute. So when you have your homework, attempt to do it first and then i think a study group should be a review group where you come together with a friend or with a group of people and if you're stuck on something you ask them for help or you review your notes or review your homework just make sure everyone has got a crystal clear understanding of the work that they've done individually by themselves yeah and uh i would <laughs> add to that i personally would probably do this better with one person but if there had to be a group that i was reviewing with you got to make sure that that group 
really works well together because yeah. it, it's really easy in a group setting, especially in school, for there to be either like a shy person or somebody gets talked over because maybe two or three people are just really aggressively extroverted and they're mm-hmm. just constantly taking over. And then you're somebody's not going to get help or they're not going to speak up and say they don't understand or you don't actually understand and they don't want to correct you because you haven't stopped talking. Yeah. Actually, so I have a serious question for you. Um, can you recall a time where really good work has been done in our company where three or more people are working together? I suppose I can't think of a lot of examples of three or more people for one thing. So what I'm thinking of right now is every Monday... Hold on, I got so many memories. There's a lot of memories. Every Monday morning, you, Ransom, our writer and editor, and uh, I have a meeting. But what I've noticed is I I think that it is useful for us to have the meeting together because there are certain things that everyone needs to be on the same page about at this point. Like you and me and him are like the three pillars of management in College of Boogie almost. That sounds really weird and boring to say, but Mm, upper management Ransom Mm. is managing writers and you're basically like the manager of everyone. And then I'm just, I need to be in the loop about everything. Um, but what I've noticed is the bulk of those meetings usually involve me talking primarily to one or the other of you two. Yeah. Like this Monday, I spent like the first 15 minutes talking basically to Ransom while you sat there not saying anything because we were talking about things that was her, his projects. And then he actually hung up and the rest of the meeting was you and me going through everything that you and I needed to know about intensely together. And when I think back to college, it's the same thing. When I think of the group projects where there were three or more people, there was always somebody sort of disengaged. There, I think it usually it's like very difficult it kind to of balance. Yeah, it kind of coalesced into this this setting where there was one person who has had the leadership role, and then there maybe was one person who was really involved, and everyone else was just kind of there for the ride. Whereas when I had my statistics study partner, she and I were totally focused on the work the whole time. And we got done quickly, and then we would part and go our separate ways. You have no freedom to disengage. You can't be like, oh, they're talking to them. Hold on while I just check out what's going on in my calendar and get distracted. Yeah. If I'm browsing through Reddit on my phone, that person has nobody else to talk to. Yeah. And I'm like this with friend groups, too. I find Mm -hmm. it incredibly hard to get close to or talk to anybody in a group if I don't already know them well on a single basis. Yeah. I think a lot of times the only time of – kind of kill social stuff. The only times I've had really good conversations in big groups are when the groups are filled with people I don't know very well, because then I tend to just gravitate to one person, have a very good conversation with that one person. Yeah. I'm thinking specifically of the uh, big 10 person dinner that you and I went to at Ophelia's yeah. a couple or a few months ago. I ended up talking with like three people and you talked to people that I never talked to at all. Yeah. You know, and then when our friends come over and it's a big party, we just play Jackbox games. There's no yeah, we're not like deep discussion going on about anything important. Yeah. So I guess for for these two rules, uh, our little summary is make sure you are doing your work or making an attempt to do your work individually first. And then I do think that uh, you know we could be wrong. You know our experience is limited, but at least in our experience, two people usually works better than more than two. And I could see the use. Let me put it this way. If you're going to have more than two people in a group, you need to have a more structured outline for how it's going to go. So maybe there's a big project and one person had the responsibility for one part 
and they're going to report what they've done. Yeah. Then maybe that works. Like everybody needs to know what they're doing in that meeting. Yeah. I guess the more people that are in the meeting, the more you need an agenda. Potentially. There's bureaucracy for you. Yay. That's the thing about bureaucracy. It sucks, but like it's kind of necessary. like if you get rid of it, everybody's confused. (laughs) Exactly. Have you ever taken a piece of paper and then like drawn dots and then like tried to draw a line between every single dot? No. I've done it before because I've been bored in class. And if you have three dots, three nodes, three people, then you have three lines. Right? Yeah, there's only three lines. Every node has a relationship to two other nodes. So there are just three lines total. The moment you add a fourth, there are now six lines. So if you imagine a square, you have you know your, your lines that are going um, up and down and left and right. But then you have your diagonal lines because each person needs to be connected to the person diagonally from them as well. Yeah. So now there are six lines instead of four. And with every node you add to the network, you add more than one relationship connection which just creates chaos if you don't build rules for managing it yeah so yeah bureaucracy is a necessary evil all right what's our fourth checklist item number four did you participate did you participate actively in homework group discussions contributing ideas and or asking questions so i think this is pretty similar to the last couple Um, I think it's just a reminder that if you are in a group that's more than two people, you need to make sure that you are being an active participant. Yeah. And um, never let your confusion be overruled. Never let the group move on if you don't get something. Or if they are going to move on. Yeah, don't, like, feel bad. Yeah. Yeah, you know, bring it up. Um, I think a lot of people allow themselves to remain confused about things because they don't want to inconvenience others or they're afraid of embarrassing themselves, or they're afraid of messing up the flow of the meeting. But if you're there to learn, and if you're there to master the material, then that's the point of the whole meeting, right? Yeah, I mean, if the group gets mad, then get a different group. Yeah, to, get a different group. <laughs> you, know, you know, like, you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't want to have a group of three people who are easily getting A's and just double-checking, and one person with, like, a D who doesn't get it. Because yeah. then I, I could see why they would feel like, I'm just a burden on all these people who already understand. Mm-hmm. You be somewhat similar well this is so that you can very help similar. each other grow yeah this is really similar to what we talked about last week about mastermind groups <clears throat> yeah. mastermind groups usually work better when everyone in the group is sort of at parity and if there's somebody who's way below uh, at least in terms of what the group's focus is then that person is either going to bring the group down or they're going to be sitting there completely confused all day long you know if i'm in a mastermind group with like a group of high level billiard players and I'm over here just trying to figure out like a bank shot. <laughs> I'm either going to severely bore them or they're going to just steamroll right over me and I'm never going to get any better. Yeah. So with groups, you need to be with people who are near your level. And if you are really beneath where you want to be, then you need individualized attention. You know, and I don't think this this actually was on the checklist, but you could look into tutoring for that. Yeah. You know, and... I, w- I want to say that uh, tutoring can be expensive if you're you know, obviously hiring like an in-home tutor or something. But in my experience, the reason a lot of people don't hire tutors is because they are embarrassed about needing a tutor. And this, I think this is one of the things you have to get over. You have to be okay with the fact that you may need help from somebody on something that you're not good at. 
hiring a tutor is the same as hiring a personal trainer or hiring a figure skating coach. Yeah. They can accelerate your development and that is very useful. And if you are in a program where the curriculum progresses faster than you're currently able to, then if you want to stick with that curriculum and program, then you need to accelerate your development. Yeah, and maybe that tutor wants to be a teacher or something. Maybe they love yeah. what they're doing, and you're actually just making their day great by giving them an opportunity to help you. You're not a, you're exactly. not a burden. And Well, if somebody's been a tutor for a long time, then they like it. Yeah, like why, why would they be burdened by somebody who's helping them do what they want? Yeah. I was a tutor for a while in, um, when I was in high school, and it wasn't for me, so I eventually got out of it. But people who stick with tutoring for a long time, they love working individually with people. So you're not going to be inconveniencing them. It is their job that they have voluntarily chosen to do, and you're going to be helping yourself. So, yeah. Just, uh, the other thing that I want to mention here is if you don't have the opportunity to get clarification on every question you have while you're in the group, at least write those questions down. Because then you have a record of them that you can take to your teacher or you can take to a review session or you can take time to review yourself. But if you just let it kind of pass in the moment, you aren't going to remember all those things. And you're right back to that problem where you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, and then you've got to waste more time finding out what the problems were again. And you're really just costing yourself several study sessions worth of no progress. Exactly, yeah. All right, question number five. I should have made the Mambo number five yeah. joke at this one. Do? I don't know why... I didn't. <laughs> I don't know. The number four makes me think of the number five for some reason. They're so close. Mambo number four? I think. I don't even know what Mambo I never number heard, five is. never heard <laughs> that Lou Vega song. Oh, okay. All right. Number five. Did you consult with the instructor or teaching assistants when you were having trouble with something? Uh, so this is where I want to review the course and technique. Um, and first and foremost, let me just say that you should be going and seeing the teacher if you don't understand things. Anna's mom is a teacher, and she was just visiting oh, yeah. last week, and I asked her, do your students come in for help? And she said, not nearly as much as they should. And obviously that there are some of them that can't because they have to get to an after-school program or a job or something, and they have to catch the bus. I get it. When I was in sophomore and junior and senior year of high school, I had a job after school every single day, and I had to be there by four, so there was really not a whole lot of time to go after after class. But when I needed help, I got around that by going to school early. And that sometimes meant riding my bike a few miles to school because I couldn't catch the bus or I couldn't get a ride, but you know I did what I had to do. So there's this idea called the Corson Technique, and this comes from Dale Corson, who was, um, I think, the dean of Cornell University at one point, and he was also a chemistry professor. There's a lot of chemistry professors giving advice on studying. Hmm. I don't know what it is about them. So basically, he said, when you go to your professor, you want to know exactly what you're confused on, because a lot of students, they come in and they kind of just say, I don't get it, and it's like this general statement, like, I just don't get it, and the teacher will say, well, what, do you, what don't you get? And, you oh. know, they'll say, all of it. I just don't get it. I really don't. Yeah, I don't think I don't they know. have time to play 21 questions today. Exactly, yeah. So that makes a bad impression because it makes it look like, and this is true, that you haven't put a whole lot of thought into pinpointing where your confusion lies. And you don't value their time. You don't value their time. <laughs> yeah, value your teacher's time. Teachers put a lot of work in, and they don't get paid very much. So it's it's crazy how much work teachers have to put in. At least they get the summers off sometimes. That's nice. But I don't know, man, like, 
seven or eight hours in school, then lesson plans and grading papers. Yeah, and then then just staying in their office trying to help extra just because they want to. Like, mm-hmm. I think Anna's mom spent like half of her time here on vacation grading papers. <laughs> so <laughs> Sounds about right. It's a little sad. Uh, so, yeah, work <laughs> to know exactly where your confusion lies. Come in and pinpoint it. And what Corson says is you should be able to show exactly how much you get up to a certain point, and you should even be able to show – uh, if you get something after your point of confusion, you should be able to show that you understand that. It's about creating this exact window of where your confusion lies. This makes a better impression on your teacher, but it also makes it quicker for them to help you. It makes it easier for them to help you because it's kind of like documenting the problem. You're able to show them the steps that got you to where you are, Yeah, showing them exactly where in the maze that you lie. And many times you won't actually need to go to the professor if you do this. Because if you actually take the time to think from the perspective of somebody else, how am I going to show them exactly where I'm confused? You're looking at the problem from a different angle, and you might solve it. Yeah. Um, This is also discussed in episode 86 of our podcast, which is a conversation with Matt Ringel, who is a, uh, a network tech at Akamai Technologies. And he wrote this blog post about this rule called the 15-minute rule at their company, which oh, yeah. I think we've talked about before. Yeah. The whole, like, if you get stuck, you have to work for 15 minutes before asking for help. But then once you have hit 15 minutes, you then must ask for help. Yeah, so you're so, not just wasting time stubbornly. Exactly. Striking that balance between not wasting time but not building that learned helplessness. Yeah. All right. What's number six? Number six is, did you understand all of your homework problem solutions when they were handed in? All right. Uh, so I think this one is kind of trying to communicate that I think a lot of times you can kind of get to the solution on a homework problem without really knowing exactly how you got there. Yeah, I I did that in like calculus classes and it would take several times before I was like, I know why I have the right answer this time. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like reading. It's not actually about the answer even, even in math, you think it's actually about the answer. It's not, it's about understanding how you arrived there, the journey to the answer. Yeah, it's. You know, you can have a black box that spits out the correct answer, but the whole idea is is uh, opening up the black box if and the point seeing the, the inner answer, workings. They'd let you use your calculator to do it all. Exactly. You yeah. know, it, there wouldn't be a point in even learning it. Yeah, and I know some of you out there use your calculators to figure out the answers because I did it. <laughs> I was like a calculator brute force master in calculus class, and actually got weirdly good at it. So, in like at certain problems in class, I would be able to solve them really, really quickly. And people were like, how did you get the answer so fast? And uh, it wasn't because I understood the calculus technique. It's because I kind of <laughs> understood this roundabout calculator way to do it. And I could do that really fast because I'm good with computers. But then the test would come and they'd be like, all yeah, right, now matter. you're actually going to have to show your mastery of derivatives. And um, I didn't have, have to, it. You have to like show every <laughs> step. And yeah, I don't know if that weird squiggly, is that a treble clef? I don't know. Why is there music literature tablature yeah. in here? Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, understand your homework problem solutions. Understand the process you took to get there before you hand it in uh, because your homework is a, pre- ter- a precursor to the test. And it turns out that on the test, you don't have that little solutions booklet that gives you the answer to all the odd, odd problems. Yeah. I, I also leaned very heavily on that. <laughs> and oh, I'm just remembering this. So in the mornings before school would start in high school, there was like – this group that would always come and meet right outside the math class. And it was like the calculus help area. And the teacher would be there working individually with people. And I I sometimes took advantage of that. But what I took more advantage of was 
they would have the full solutions manual out on the table. So our textbooks wow. only had the odd answers, but they had the teacher's edition with the full solution manual. So I'd come there and tell myself, okay, I'm gonna work these problems. I'm gonna just check the solutions to make sure that I know what I'm doing. And of course, what I would do is run out of time, look at the solution and tell myself, oh yeah, I get that. That makes sense. And then promptly not be able to do it. Yeah. <laughs> the actual exam. Good, good work. So, and that's dangerous. How to think you're an expert at something. Yeah. But not actually be. Well, I think that's dangerous because I knew that I didn't fully understand calculus. I ended up with a decent grade in the class, but I knew that I had a shaky understanding of it. And that actually convinced me that I wasn't cut out for engineering. Because before I went into college, I was kind of weighing computer engineering or electronic engineering versus MIS and business. And there was this part of me that truly believed that I didn't have the brain for complicated math. And I looked at the curriculums and seen Calculus 2, Calculus 3, Diffie-Q on there, <clears throat> um, linear algebra, stuff like that. And I told myself, well, if I had to basically lie and bluff my way through Calc 1, what was Calc 2 going to do to me? It was going to chew me up and spit me out. I'm not cut out for this, so I better go into business. Oh, yeah, that's actually you a know? pretty terrible mindset to get when you could have just worked through those problems, and I'm exactly. sure you would have been able to learn them. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people in this world believe that they are not cut out for something when, in fact, they have just not put the time into actually understanding it. And maybe they've been able to BS their way to a decent grade or they've been able to bluff their way out of a complete failure, but they sort of know in the back of their heads that they don't really have a grasp on it. And that convinces them to sort of abandon the path before it all catches up with them, quote unquote. And, yeah. you know, they're exposed it's a fraud or something like that. Ooh. Well, you're not a fraud or maybe you are a fraud, but you're, you're only a fraud kind to yourself. <laughs> you're like, yeah, you're a fraud to yourself. And it, like, if you get exposed as such, it's not that the world is going to end. You're just going to have to work harder finally. Yeah. I uh, feel like, you know, and you'll probably find that you have the ability to do it. Yeah, you don't want to build learned helplessness in mm -hmm. your, into your life. What episode is that? 99. 99. I remember that because Anna started doing the um, like, thumbnails for us at like 99. all the numbers somehow. I have no idea. Well, I did this whole number memorization Yeah, but video. you had them remembered far <laughs> before you did that video. That's true. I, I Okay, so I did that video, and that is, uh, to, rep, to give people um, context here, that is the major memory system, which is a rigid and well-defined system for memorizing long numbers. But at the core of that system is just the whole idea of binding those abstract numbers to something that's more easily remembered in your head, like a picture. And I think just because how many hours I spent on each of those episodes, there is an association built there mm -hmm. subconsciously between, um, you know, when I did it and my sort of rough, shaky understanding of maybe like the block of like, all right, episodes 80 to 90 were done in like late 2015 or something like that. I don't actually know if that was the date, but there's like a subconscious feeling of how long ago it was and then being able to extrapolate back. Yeah. And then there are certain episodes that I just know the number of. So it's like the what was the positioning of that episode in, rel in relation to the episode that I do know the number of. So learned helplessness yeah, is one that I won't forget. I probably couldn't even tell you which one was two episodes ago. I don't, I don't even know. Well, this is this is 204, which is the exam tip prep checklist. So two episodes ago would have been the dip. Yeah, I wouldn't have remembered that at all. <laughs> I got nothing. Time is relative. You know? Different strengths, right? It's the whole mutual I just let, mentorship. Well, I don't I don't remember dates at all. I let calendars all meld into one, and my past becomes one single block of time called past. And I just don't. Yeah. I don't know. 
I have. I guess I have like adult past, recent adult past, but it all melds together. I don't know when stuff happened. I know you guys love to make fun of me for um, thinking things that happened like three months ago actually happened three weeks ago. And then you also make fun of me for not being able to estimate the size of a room. You're pretty is, bad at estimating true. the size of things. I'm very bad at that. Uh, but yeah, you are actually quite bad at remembering I, anything that happened in the past. I, I melt recent past <laughs> into one block of time. This is very true. But again, mutual mentorship. You're much better at focus than I am. I try. Infinitely better at focus than I am, which is why you can read a book like Ghost Written in 16 hours, and it would probably take me 50 hours or 100 well, hours. Afterward, I found somebody reviewing the book. They were completely wrong about what happened in the last couple chapters because it, <laughs> it requires so much understanding of what's implied that mm -hmm. they completely missed what was going on. And I was like, that's that's not even <laughs> – It's not it. They did not read critically. That's, mm -hmm. that's the problem. They completely missed the implications. I ran my eyes over the text, though. Yeah, it I, was just – That means I read it, right? Yeah, you can't take David Mitchell books at face value. They're complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm, I'm bad at estimating sizes of rooms, but for some reason good at memorizing weird things like yeah. episode numbers. Well, I will always know episode 100 was with Cal Newport because when we log into Simplecast, it shows that the most popular episode ever was 100 with Cal Newport. Oh. So there's well, there there's go. sort of that like positional memory. You're like building a number line or a timeline where there are some significant events. And I think the human brain is very good at remembering positions, uh, relative positions of things. Like you're very good at remembering a hierarchy of things. <clears throat> you're good, very good at remembering, um, you know, this thing that I remembered was like a little bit past this tree to the left. Or one thing that I find weird is that I can never remember the page number of something that I read in a book, but I can always remember whether it was the left or the right page, and usually whether it was lower or higher up on the page. So if I'm looking for something, oh, I yeah, can be yeah. like, all right, I remember reading that on the left-hand side, so I can just scan through the left-hand side of the pages. All right, what do we got, number seven? Yep. Cool, lucky number seven. Did you ask in class for explanations of homework problem solutions that weren't clear <clears throat> to you? So again, another um, reminder that you need to remember to get clarification on anything you're confused on. Right? Yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. simple. Yeah, not that, not that complicated. Very useful though. It's mm -hmm. also how I built relationships with several of my favorite professors. Yeah, because it would show I really cared. Mm -hmm. Most of them were language classes. I don't think always, but most of the time it was like I really care enough about this nuance. What's the difference here? And there, and the thing is there's a decent chance that they're excited about that topic. So they're like, you care about that nuance. Well, that's a very good question. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, from a teacher's perspective, um, <clears throat> there's always like this nagging doubt that people in your class don't care about what you're talking about. That's because most of them admit that they don't it's care what you're talking about. They're true. like, how many of you are here just because it's a requirement? 90% raise their hands. <laughs> and then the teacher says, hold on a moment. And then they turn around and they just cry. <laughs> Eight years spent on a PhD for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there's a lot of PhD regret out there, <laughs> and students are always at fault. Actually, that's not true. The bureaucracy is <laughs> at fault usually, but it's true. Um, and I get this. So when I'm doing a public speaking thing, if I see one person in the audience yawn, I get the feeling that everyone thinks I'm boring and that this speech is just going to crash and burn. Yeah. It's a complete failure, and I should run off stage right now. But the moment I get <laughs> some active feedback from the audience. That like brings my confidence up ridiculously. So I, I made a joke during my talk at Menfluential, 
and it made the whole audience laugh. And that was like the highlight of the talk. It wasn't even the most insightful thing. It was just a stupid joke, but everyone You're laughed at like, it. They're paying attention. They care. Exactly. Yeah. But there was also a point in the talk where I saw one person yawn and I was like, oh no. Oh, this is, you I shouldn't have been you here. You should have actually just bolted off stage with no explanation. <laughs> just sprinted. That would have been great. That might have been funny, actually. <laughs> I just had to run Gone. off. Yeah. But no, I think it's, it's very important. Feedback is very important, both negative and positive. So if you have questions, bringing them up, number one is not going to make you look <clears throat> stupid because stupid people are the ones who refuse to get clarification on things that they are confused about. Yeah. That is what is stupid. You know, asking questions in class when you're confused is very smart because nobody knows everything. And I think this is one of the core problems in humanity is there's like this implicit assumption in the back of all of our minds that everyone else is ahead of us and everyone else is where they're supposed to be and we're the only ones behind. But you usually find out that that (laughs) usually I think you find out that if you actively worry about that, it's more likely than not that you are ahead of the curve. Because the people who are actually behind the curve are the ones who are like lazily not caring. The ones who are totally apathetic. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I learned this in college. When I when I came into college, and you remember this because you were the same year as me, it was right after two thousand and eight when the stock market crashed and we had the whole housing crisis and everyone thought that the world was going to split in half and drift into space and we would all die. Uh, That did happen, but we glued the earth back together and we're all fine now. But going into college, there was all this fear in the atmosphere. And I kind of had this feeling that if I wasn't the most stellar performer in every possible way, then I would never get a job because the crisis has happened and everyone got fired and it was horrible and there was this huge recession. And I basically assumed that that was going to happen when I graduated as well. So I went into college feeling like I was behind I, everyone else was going to be a ridiculous competitor and I would have to just basically struggle and claw my way to even keep up. And, you know, you get further into college and I started to realize that a lot of people don't even know how to like fill out their FAFSA and they don't even know that this thing is due next Wednesday and they don't even have a calendar. They don't even know what a to-do list is. So I don't know, maybe I could be wrong here, but I feel like if you're really concerned about being behind that concern will probably push you to be ahead. Yeah. I don't know. Also, I, I can't stop thinking about the fact that atmosphere with like F-E-A-R. Oh, I thought it, about that too. You know, that's got to exist. Atmos- I got to find atmosphere. out what band that is later. That It's going to be like a really edgy industrial yep. electronic band yep. like Cell Dweller. Atmosphere. It's got to be. And if it's not, we have to make it. Yeah. Um, one thing about... Um, asking your teacher stuff that I would like to point out first is the only there there is a dumb time to ask questions if they're talking about something else don't just interrupt them with a completely oh. <laughs> out of left field question either wait till after class or wait until there's a lull or or the topics brought up or something mm-hmm. otherwise they're going to be like that that was from 3 weeks ago yeah <laughs> i'm trying to teach <laughs> yeah you do have to pay attention to the context of the conversation yeah <laughs> that does make sense. But yeah, then go see your teacher after class if you have something that isn't related to the current yeah, don't, lecture. don't distract the whole classroom for something that's old. Exactly. Okay, so that was what, number seven? seven? Number eight. If you had a study guide, did you carefully go through it before the test and convince yourself that you could do everything on it? Study guides are cheat sheets, <laughs> in Hopefully my opinion. Hopefully you convinced yourself, but you were correct. 
Yeah. When, when you were convinced. Usually I just lie to myself. Yeah. I'm fine. I'm f- it's going to be good. I'm just going to play video games tonight because I, I, I'm sure I got it. How hard could it be? How hard could differential equations be? It's only two words. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's exactly how you tell how complicated something is. Actually, no, my, my brain literally went through those kinds of excuses in school. Like, it would be like, it's, it's a multiple choice exam. How hard could it be? There's only four choices per question. The, the correct one is going to stand out to you. And then, of course, it doesn't because 25% chance is actually less than yeah, 50. It's, it's, not, not that it's good. tough. <laughs> so uh, you have to convince yourself by actually doing the work. But, man, study guys are great. Uh, they're almost cheating because a test is supposed to be a sample of the material that tests your mastery over the entire set of the material. And in a study guide, in my in my experience at least, is usually like – a version of the test that's just been yeah, slightly reworded and reordered. Thing. Like a lot of times the study guide literally asked the questions that were on the test. It, they just may have been like slightly reworded or cryptically worded. Like review this part of the book, wink. It, it's it almost, going to be a test it almost question. is kind of cheating because the point is that you're supposed to understand, you know, the, the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Not just like part A3 because it, yeah. it was important on the test. If I'm hiring you as a web developer, I'm hoping that you have a firm grasp of all of HTML and CSS and JavaScript and web layout and all like this whole set, this whole skill set that is needed to do your job well. Um, but in my interview, I'm going to have maybe some coding questions. And maybe my coding question has you utilize a, an array in JavaScript. Hopefully you know more about JavaScript than just how to write an array because it turns out that yeah. just writing arrays is not going to build me a web application that I need to run my business. And hopefully if you're taking a calculus class, you know, and there is a question that has you derive a uh, single variable equation, hopefully that's not your the extent of your knowledge in calculus, you know, because there's more to calculus than just single variable der- uh, derivations. Yeah. So the study guides are kind of cheating. Now, I'm not going to say that you shouldn't use it. No, you because, should you should appreciate that you've yeah. been given this chance to cheat your way around the true class purpose. <laughs> exactly. And you should use it. It is a cheat code and you should absolutely use it. So if you get a study guide, fill that thing out. Also, that if you want to be a master thing. of the topic, make sure you know more than just the study guide, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, in a lot of cases, you know, your classes, you're under time constraints and you want to get a good grade on the on the exam because that has knock-on effects that aren't related to the yeah. topic itself. But if you're interested in calculus, don't stop at the study guide that because the study guide is just representing the sample that is on the test. And that's just a sliver of what's on the actual or what's you know relevant to the actual topic. Yeah. Cool. All right. So number what? Nine. Nine. Nueve. Nine is did you attempt to outline lots of problem solutions quickly without spending time on the algebra and calculations? This is very specific. Well, this one's really specific because he's a chemistry professor. Oh, yeah, yeah, So yeah. what I was wondering is, is this one something to avoid? Hmm. There wasn't a whole lot of explanation in this book because I think it is literally just a memo. So what I was thinking is he's actually warning students against this because if you don't spend time on the algebra and calculations – then maybe you are just glossing over solutions. Oh, so so it's sort of a quality versus quantity question. Like that's what I'm wondering. Lots of problem solutions. Did you do, did you do a whole bunch of quantity? Say I did 20 problems, and then you're done. Yeah, exactly. Or did you do four problems and you completely understood every step? Exactly. So I think this is just just a reminder to, like you said, prioritize quality over quantity. Prioritize 
true understanding over problem solved. Yeah. You know, the metric that doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, don't focus on the vanity metrics. Number 10. Did you go over the study guide and problems with classmates and quiz one another? So pretty much just a little add-on to the whole study guide tip. Do it with classmates. Yeah. And I did study guides with classmates. But again, don't let your classmates do too much of the study guide and then gloss over it. Oh, yeah. I've definitely like been in situations where either either I would or the other person would just like go ahead, fill out most of it, and then the other person would be like, Oh, cool, cool. I didn't know that one. Let me just write it over here on my copy of the study guide. Yeah. Well, in a lot of classes, we get into a group of four and then give everyone a quarter of the study guide to go fill out. Yeah, that is, you just that go is the look opposite of how to learn the study guide. Mm-hmm. And I mean, hey, let's be realistic here. Sometimes you don't have much time, and sometimes you, to at least get the grade, you do not need to have that perfect understanding of every inner working of every yeah. problem. So, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here on my high horse and be like, you need to spend it. 15 hours on every single study guide and no, sometimes you don't care we're going to build a time machine so that you can lock yourself inside a frozen moment in time and dedicate your entire existence to this one class no sometimes you don't have time sometimes you're taking a required elective and you just need to get through it too and many required credits that make people don't care about learning as much exactly yeah and you know we could yeah. get in we could do a whole episode on whether the liberal arts model of education is even useful in this day and age whether you really need to be taking an ethics class and a physics class and a speech class while you're trying to get a degree in network engineering. Yeah. You know, there's pros and cons. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it, but that's that's a whole other thing. As long as you've got to get the grade in this class, mm -hmm. you know, do what you need. Exactly. All right, number, what, 11? Um, oh, man, I didn't even type out 11. Oh, well, I have it if you don't have it. I have a screenshot. I just didn't type it. Okay. I'm a fool. I'll give you number 12 because number 12 is your favorite number anyway. Oh, okay. Number 11, if there was a review session before the test, did you attend it and ask questions about anything you weren't sure about? I skipped a lot of review sessions in college. I probably shouldn't have. I think I went to one. Those things were really useful. And it, and it helped, yeah. They're really useful because it is a session with the teacher where the entire focus is on students asking things that they are confused about. So there's no time dedicated to lecture. It's just the teacher pointing out, oh, you're confused about that? All right, let's work through it. And that was, for the ones I went to, that was super helpful because there will be things that I didn't even know I was confused about because I obviously wasn't diligent enough to do that problem yet. And then the student would bring it up and be like, oh yeah, I don't actually know how to do that. And then I would watch the teacher work out a problem. And now I, I walked into the review session more prepared. Yeah. I think those things are almost always worth it. Uh, all right, number 12. This is the big one. Did you get a reasonable night's sleep before the test? Yeah. If your answer is no, your answers to 1 through 11 may not matter. That's a good point. It is a good point. You need sleep. Yeah, if you if you spend all night cramming and then you didn't get any sleep at all, like you, you're not going to be able to think right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've had questions from people on Twitter asking, like, is there ever a time where an all-nighter is justified? And I mean, you know, from a health basis, and if you want to perform your best, no. I mean, define justified. I mean, yeah. if you have to do it, and if it's not an exam and you're turning in an assignment, you should have done it sooner, you know? But I guess if you really have to, mm -hmm. sure. But if, if, if it's not just turning something in and it's an exam, it's going to be bad. Also, your assignment's probably going to suffer from being, being finished at four in the morning. So keep that in mind as well. Have you ever done an all-nighter? I've done it 
I've done it a few times, but I was also very bad at being a student in community college. I got good grades, but we were allowed to turn the assignments in whenever we wanted. So at the, <laughs> like the last two weeks, I'd be like, I have 60 assignments to do. Let's go. And then <laughs> My good grades are in thanks to really lax standards yeah. on the part of the teacher. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I did great on every assignment, but I tortured myself doing 60 assignments in two weeks. Ugh. So I, I did some all-nighters, you know. It was a bad idea, though. And yeah, it I hated, sounds pretty bad. I hated myself every time, and I was like, next semester I'm not going to do this. And then I had the same teacher, and I did oh, <laughs> every man. semester. Well, that's the thing. I know I dumb. really value um, structure and things like a nicely spread out schedule of due dates. In fact, this is one of the reasons why I think college is still quite useful for uh, many types of people because human beings – are not innately able to self-regulate in all ways. Like self-regulation and self-discipline is a skill that takes a long time to build. And it's more difficult the more um, demands that you pile onto yourself. So if you're like, I'm just going to learn all these subjects myself. Well, the most difficult part of that is actually motivating yourself to make consistent progress and work every single day on it. Yeah. And the great thing about college is there are due dates Unless, of course, you have a professor like yours. <laughs> well, I think I learned. I think I learned some good lessons from that, you know, because I did a lot better when I came to university afterward. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to repeat the terrible that. last two years that yeah. I succeeded in technically, but it was it was bad. Mm -hmm. I, I did so. I did two all nighters ever in college. One was an unintentional all nighter. Uh, that started with me thinking notice. I was going to redesign the header oh. of College Info Geek, and what it turned into was me <clears throat> redesigning the entire site and basically launching a new theme in one day. Nice. So that was that is the only instance where I would say it was justified because I got into like this manic artistic zone that I didn't want to come out of, and in my opinion, it was worth sacrificing the sleep for that. In, in, for me, um, the other time was actually an academic thing, and it was completely because I did not work efficiently during the day, and I found myself like right up against the due date, and I needed to finish an entire essay overnight, and I stayed up till six a.m. to do it, and that was a horrible idea. Yeah. Uh, so the barring the whole redesign thing, which was like a moment of passionate artistic inspiration. The only other time I've had an all-nighter was due to inefficient study techniques and a lack of self-discipline. So my answer is that I think you can get through college never doing an all-nighter as long as you have good study techniques and you don't overload yourself. If And here's the thing. If you have to do all-nighters and like you, are, you, you can honestly tell yourself, I'm working efficiently, I'm efficiently managing my time, and yet I still need to do all-nighters, then you have overburdened yourself. Yeah. You made your bed, now you got to sleep in it. And you got to keep in mind that you have a human body that is um, going to work well or not work well based on how you take care of it. It has needs. You need to rest it. You need to have good nutrition. You need to exercise every once in a while. Um, if you just think that I can pile on all these classes and never sleep because of self-discipline and hustle and hashtag I'm Gary Vaynerchuk of the medical world, it's not going to work. You're eventually going to burn out or your body's going to fail you. Yeah, you're, the things you're doing are hurting your brain. So you're like trying to feed your brain knowledge while at the same time somebody else is sucker punching it. Exactly. It's not – you can see how that doesn't work very well. 
And for all the people out there who think, oh, I'm 19 right now, I'm just going to put in like four years of really hard work while I'm in my early 20s and teenage years, you know, my body can handle it, and that's going to accelerate me to a point where I can relax. Let me tell you, the type of work style you develop in your early 20s doesn't tend to stop when you get older. Like, there's just more challenges. You're kind of building your habits for life. Exactly. You yeah, never feel like... They're harder to change after that because you got to pay attention and do it on purpose. Yeah. I mean, we're at a point where you know our business is pretty successful, but there is not a single thought in my head ever that, I've made it. I can quit now. I can go to a, an easier schedule. No. There's more challenges. If anything, we're more overburdened Yeah. because now we have more opportunities and we can do cooler things, but they're more difficult because we're at a higher level of performance. So you need to establish good, healthy habits now because they're going to be what you rely upon later on in life. Yeah. You ain't retiring at 27. You're just going to keep on going. All right. Uh, that's the checklist. I had a few other suggestions and I'll just breeze through these. Um, it can be very useful to do what I like to call a cheat card exercise, where you take a three by five index card. And do you ever have a class where they would let you like write whatever you want on one of these little cards and bring that into the test? Yeah, I think so. I had that a couple of times. Um, most professors and teachers won't let you do this, but what I've realized is when I created those things, I would put the most important information on them. So that whole idea or that whole, you know, the whole uh, session where you're going through your textbook and your notes and you're trying to con condense everything into the most important um, little note card there, that's actually pretty good studying. Yeah. So do that. And then you don't get to bring the card into the test, but now you've loaded everything in the card into your brain as well. So that can be very useful. Um, doing a summarization challenge. So if you have a difficult concept or you are not quite under you're not quite sure if you understood the text that you just read summarize it you could write this down you could try to summarize it to a friend or you could just use a voice recording app on your phone and just try to speak a summarization to yourself oh yeah you know and then if you get to a point where you're like uh L'Hopital's rule is uh well now you don't understand it go back and figure it out and then go through practice exams so if you have the opportunity to get your hands on an old or practice based exam, get that. That's potentially even better than a study guide because now the, word, the the questions are actually worded the way they are likely to be worded on the exam. And even if you don't see the same questions, you're going to see similar questions going over similar concepts and you're just training your brain to answer those things. So again, don't think that you have to go through this entire hour or so of content and turn that into a practice you go through for every single exam. But um, going back to the main point of Richard Felder making this note and having it published in this book, if you didn't get a good grade on your last exam and you're wondering why, go through this, ask yourself, what didn't I do? And then try to identify the one that is going to have the greatest impact on your next exam. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that about covers it, right? Yeah. Sweet. I suppose so. I suppose. So we mentioned quite a few different uh, previous episodes in this episode, I think we also re recommended some different resources. Oh, there's one called Coopers.com, which has a test bank of old exams from many different universities. How's that spelled? K-O-O-F-E-R-S.com. Okay, okay. Now, they are not guaranteed to have exams for your particular university or class, but they may have really similar stuff that could be useful to go through. And they may have something for your university, so it's always good to check. Uh, so we'll have all the links for 
extra episodes for any articles we talked about for anything like that over in our show notes, which are at CIGpodcast.com slash 204 or in the description down below if you're watching this on YouTube. Um, if you want to support this show, a rating and review on Apple Podcasts is always very appreciated. Otherwise, you can share it with a friend and help this show grow out and reach new people. And if you want to find our favorite resources, such as all the essential books that we recommend, including A Mind for Numbers, it's definitely on there, uh, and our dorm packing guide and our list of apps that we recommend, those can all be found at collegeinfogeek.com resources. So check that out if you're looking for some new tools or gear or books, and we will see you in next week's episode. Stay cute.